You are listening to a production of the Toll Network, home of biting analysis. This is Moonspeak Phase 3, Episode 38. Don't bite into that donut, Sailor Moon. It's dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh god, I I love this movie. Uh I'm Sano. I'm here. Yeah, and uh, I'm Amit. Uh welcome to Moonspeak Phase 3, your um mostly monthly source for uh, general Sailor Moon discussion and analysis. Um we're just talking about the movies now, but uh uh Crystal Season 4 will be out at some point this year in 2017, right? Hopefully. Uh we have gotten confirmation that it's happening. Uh, which lines up nicely with us doing uh, this movie, because that it lines up with that section of the story, even though it has absolutely nothing to do with it. Naturally. <laughs> I mean, that's good. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, you know, put us ahead of what you know story-wise, so I'm a little, I'm glad for that. Yeah, that is nice. Um... I was kind of disappointed. No Saturn in this one. Did she? Ever, was there ever a movie with Saturn in it? I don't believe so. Hmm. Uh, she. She had some stuff going on in this phase of the story. Uh, if you remember, she was a little baby again. Oh, that's right. Duh. <laughs> I just so, figured they would have like went into the future and then brought back older Hotaru and that would have been it, but, you know, whatever. I mean, like, look, they don't explain how how the three of them showed up anyway, so... This is true. Um, but no, it's it's just the three of them. Unfortunately, uh, there's not any movies that she's in. Maybe, hmm. maybe they'll make some movies for Crystal, some specials cool. or something, and uh, have her hanging out a little bit more. That'd be a lot of fun. Um, well, let's, uh, let's really get into this thing. Um, so today we're sc- discussing, uh, Super Sailor Moon S the movie, um, which has like a really cool Japanese subtitle, but I forgot what it was now and I didn't write it down. Do you know what my name is? Uh, oh god, I can't believe I do know this offhand. Uh, it's The Nine Soldiers Gather Miracle of the Black Dream Hole. Ah, uh, <laughs> there you go. Oh man. The great title. For um, a great movie. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So, um, as we're wont to do now, do you want to let us know uh, some of the people who worked on this thing? Uh, our director was uh, Hiroki Shibata. Our screenplay was Yoji Anokido, who I looked up quickly and did a lot of writing on, you know, classic. 90s, early 2000s, or, like, 80s, 90s, really. Uh, Sailor Moon, Utena, Evangelion, hmm. uh, FLCL. Okay. If you want to go for some early 2000s. Uh, I believe he also did a novelization of FLCL. See? So, he, he's got some big credits kind of around this time period. Okay, that's cool. Um, alright, well, uh, <laughs> I'd like to start us off with a couple of potential titles. I only had two this time. Um, the first potential title was, uh, Tuxedo Slippers. God bless. Uh, yeah, I, I'll have a picture up for this in, in the show notes, but, uh, Mamoru has a little 
tuxedo mask masks on his slippers, and it's pretty fantastic. Makoto maybe made those for him. Uh, in her, in all of her craftiness, was just like, "Here, man, <laughs> Merry Christmas." I didn't know what else to give you. Right. Uh, and then uh, another one, which is this is a great dub line here. It's go bonbon babies. <laughs> and um, that's when uh, who's the principal fairy? Um, who's like the really the main aggressor in this movie? Because I didn't catch uh, his name. God, I can't. I can't remember his name. Just okay. Peru's brother. Okay. Well, he was furious when the senshi showed up and wanted to, uh, you know, stop him. And that was, uh, I guess he threw his candies out. You know, he did candy wrappers yeah. and then he commanded them. And apparently, uh, that is that is actually what they're called. Oh, really? That that wasn't a weird. Of all the weird changes in this dub, that is not one of them. Well, you know what? That's a great name, and I don't know why anybody would ever try to... I mean, it's pre-localized. It's right there for you. I mean, you, yeah. you don't have to do anything. <laughs> but anyway, so that those just really... Uh, those things really uh, stood out to me. Um, but some other fun stuff from the movie. Uh, I loved the uh, the intro-outro, you know, because they replayed the outro as... Or the intro as the outro. Um, showing all the, the scouts as kids. It just They were so adorable. Yeah, no, it was, I've always really liked this. It was, it's so cute, and it sets up the theme of the movie really nicely, and you, like, all of these shots tell you so much about the girls, like, Ray is in, like, this really pretty, proper, taking this kind of New Year's photo, I think, uh, kind of all dressed up in her kimono, and then, you know, beats some boys half to death with a bat when they come and mess with her. I, I really personally loved Minako watching all the TV and just absorbing everything from idols to, uh, you know, Clint Eastwood and uh, whatever <laughs> that movie was, Fistful of Dollars or whatever. Just like that. It was so cool. Yeah, no, it was I, really precious. Um, <laughs> anyway, you know, it, it's funny. Uh, I don't remember if both movies did this, both of the other two movies did it, but I know the last one did. Um, but they do an intro with the music and just showing the girls in their lives. And those serve really, really well to uh, give you a glimpse of their personality. And I love that because if you're coming into a movie as uh, either someone who this is your first time seeing it at all, or uh, you're someone like me who's, you know, vaguely familiar with the 90s anime itself, uh, they're doing the groundwork. The people working on it are really setting the groundwork for you to have an understanding of who all the girls are. And it's just, it's great. Uh, it's, it's really done. Well, it's really well done. And it's, you know, really necessary for you to be able to connect to everybody. Yeah. Sorry. My next note is, uh, uh, Chibiusa, uh, kind of being excited that the scouts were all changed to her age was kind of cute, even though it happened like in the middle of a terrible situation. Yeah. Like I, I always kind of wished they did more with that scene because it feels like there's so much room to play there and it just, it doesn't last long enough. And then another thing that really, uh, well, I enjoyed it, but it was, you know, awful was the whole Pied Piper element. Um, it was kind of terrifying and it was really effectively creepy. I think the song, uh, in the dub is the same as the song in the Japanese because it's. Yeah, I don't think they, they don't dub the song at all. If my okay. memory serves correctly, they just use the same audio track of the kids singing in Japanese. Yeah, and <laughs> sure, why not? I don't. I don't think they wanted to take the time and effort to get like thirty kids 
to, like, dub a new version of this song. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, but it was really good and really creepy, and actually the, the song kind of uh, it got stuck in my head for a little bit, just the tune of it, you know? Oh, yeah, no, I've, I have known this song since my childhood. Um, but, yeah, no, the Pied Piper thing is always such a weird, creepy thing. Uh, you know, anytime I see it used, I remember it being in Bokenger, uh, other things, uh, cause it's, it's such a pervasive, like, folklore thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I feel like it was used really effectively here since we establish, uh, with Peru really early on that, you know, they have these powers, but that's not really what they're for. Um, they're not supposed to be leading children away with these, but, you know, doing cute things like making, cookies dance or whatever and it kind of takes a little bit of the edge off of peru once you find out that like he's one of the ones who's supposed to be doing this it's like oh okay they're not normally evil something's just going on right it seems like um i like these fairies just got like co-opted into uh what's the lady's name badania yeah or badianu badianu that's that's something like that Um, and I think I've mentioned the la- on the other two movies we did. This one was my favorite as a kid, as kind of little sense as it makes. Um, and I, I had a big dumb crush on Peru when I was like eleven. Uh, <laughs> one of, one of my really early anime crushes uh, was this kid. But I still really love like the design work on the three o'clock fairies, like the. Mm. The whole group of them are just really neat to look at, and just all of all of the really like concept stuff in this movie, I still think is really great. Yeah, there's a lot of work that went into them, or into everything, like the gondolas and just everything's really really intricate, and uh, I definitely like the look of it all. Yeah, like, and they, they play with a lot of folklore stuff in this, like the, the Three O'Clock Fairies, the Pied Piper stuff, the kind of Castle in the Sky mythos. Mm. Lots of, lots of neat stuff being played here where I feel like they really could have expanded this into like a whole season if they really wanted to. Hmm. Um, I'm actually not so familiar or really familiar with these, uh, Three O'Clock Fairies. Could, could you give me a short little, uh, um, I mean, like the really the the mythos for this kind of exists within within this movie. I've never that specifically. I've never really heard of outside. Okay. Um, I don't. I didn't watch the dub of this, so I don't know how much they went into it. Um, in kind of describing the little internal folklore of it. Yeah, I I think uh, if they did, it totally. Went in one ear and out the other, unfortunately. Um, well, I mean, you have this whole beginning scene where everyone's at Makoto's house making cookies for whatever reason. Just, you know, they're hanging out, being friends, making cookies because they want to. Right. Um, and they set up a lot of the themes of the movie in this one scene, um, which I skimmed through. I know we're going to talk about the dub kind of verses later, but skimming through that scene dubbed, I think they kind of skipped a lot of the themes they were, they used this scene for establishing. Uh, 
But it, I've always really loved this scene. It gives us a lot of cute insights into the girls' lives, kind of pre being soldiers and you've got Ami being like oh yeah no I used to get depressed as a kid and my mom wasn't always home but when she was she'd make me these cookies and you know tell me like oh these will increase your happiness 100 fold and that's kind of where that idea starts mm. is like that's where Chibiusa I think kind of picks it up from is Ami saying that and she's like oh well I always felt really better and I thought you know okay, you know, maybe it's not so bad having sad times every now and then, because then I get to have this happy thing. Mm-hmm. And Makoto's like, oh, yeah, uh, my mom used to do the same thing for me, and then the clock strikes three. And she's like, oh, it's the three o'clock fairy already. And they're like, wait, what? What are you talking oh, about? Wow. She's like, okay. No, did, go, they just completely, did they just completely skip over this? They completely skipped over. She was talking about how at oh, three o'clock... My God. Yeah, how at 3 o'clock, that was, like, their cookie time. Like, her mom would make cookies to last the whole week long, but they were always best on Monday because that's when she would make them, and her mom would make them because Monday's the worst day. And so she'd make a huge pile of cookies, and then at 3 every day, they would have some. Yeah, they... It was kind of like that, but she was like, oh, my mom would always make... would make me all these things, and then I'd always ask her, like, oh, why do you make... Why do you always make cookies at 3 o'clock? And she's like, oh, well, the the 3 o'clock fairy take, tells moms to make snacks for their kids at 3 o'clock. Hmm. And Makoto was like, oh, well, I didn't really understand what she meant by that, so I always assumed it was the bird in the cuckoo clock. Uh-huh. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, and then they kind of tie that in later with, you know, the actual 3 o'clock fairies. When they're defeated, they turn into the cuckoo clock birds. Right. And it makes the little... and. I, yeah, no, I guess they just completely kind of skip over the actual folklore at the core of this movie Yikes. in the dub which, of this movie. Which is funny because, like, I picked up on the visual cues. Like, the cuckoo clock shows up two or three times at least, and I noticed, oh, yeah. in that town, in the, you know, German town or whatever that they showed in the beginning where Peruru was, uh, like... There's a cuckoo clock there, there's a cuckoo clock over at Makoto's, and, you know, it just kind of... And then, you know, the guys get turned into the birds after, or, you know, when they're hit with the yeah, attacks. Does it, and, does it uh, still play the, the cuckoo clock sound effect in the dub? Uh, when that happens? I, I don't remember. Is it just a cuckoo cuckoo, or is it something yeah. more? No, it's just that. When they, I mean, when it, they get turned I think into in, birds. I mean, you I may have just, remember. like, missed it because it's there's other sounds happening on top of it, so it's a little hard to... It's easy to miss, I guess. Yeah, I would say so. Um, but wow. good. We're going to talk a bit about the dub because there's a lot of weird dialogue changes. Um, including, you know, I make a comment that Diana is adorable and innocent. In my notes, and I guess in the dub, having, you know, skimmed through that scene, they cut out a lot of that. Mm. Um, but I, I don't, just, in the dub, does Chibiusa make a comment about Neo Queen Serenity? Uh, when they're she, all talking about their moms? I think she does, but it's, uh, you know what, it almost, it, it's a little obfuscated, because it almost sounds like she's talking about, well, look, <laughs> Usagi is Usagi, and she will be forever. So yeah. when when Chibiusa said that, you know, her mom always, you know, burns things, I assume she was still talking about uh Neo Queen Serenity. 
Yeah, but uh, it could have been either. In in the dialogue, she specifically says, like, in the future, Mm. my mom is still, like, even in the future, my mom is burning cookies. And it's, I love that, you know, we have this, this Neo Queen Serenity who's changed so much from the one we saw in the Black Moon arc, that mm-hmm. she's now this benevolent, pow- all-powerful god-queen a thousand years in the future, living in this giant crystal palace at the center of this perfect, like, utopia, and is trying and failing to make cookies for her child. <laughs> yeah, that is really adorable. Like, that's probably one of my favorite mental images. <laughs> uh, but... You know, my favorite part of this movie in general, just, the outer is inexplicably showing up and completely changing the topic and refusing to explain how they actually physically got there every time they're asked. Um, and this is another dub change, uh, that I guess I just wanted to check for no reason, but instead of, but Ami says instead of, you know, oh, we're glad you're, you're here to help, She's just like, hey, how did you guys get here? <laughs> and instead of answering, uh, you know, Haruka in the dub, she gives that, you know, you can always count on us line. Uh, she just says, oh, there's all this dark energy gathering in this castle. Instead of that, answering. That's great. And, uh, you know, the, the fairy guy's like, how the heck did you guys find us? How did you get here? And Mitra's just like, oh yeah, you can't hide stuff from my mirror. It's like, that doesn't yeah. explain how you got into space. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Um, I mean, I guess, I kind of assume that Setsuna did something, because she's just like, hey, hey, is small lady in danger? Because I can sense that, apparently. Like my, my my chibi use of senses were tingling and something felt wrong, so I teleported us all to space, I guess. Yeah, that sounds she is the guardian of time and space, so you know. So she can just, you know, do this stuff. Yeah, I buy it. But uh it's just <laughs> I just find it hysterical that they show up out of nowhere to save the day, but don't really explain how or why. Uh, I kind of chalked that up to uh, them being drama queens again. Well, I mean, as they are. <laughs> like we we can't we can't tell them the like awkward like the the actual secret of how we got here because that's like awkward technical details that are kind of weird. We have to <laughs> remain like cool and mysterious. <laughs> of course. Um, I uh, I think we're ready to move on to, to theme talk. Yes. Okay, cool. So, uh, I'm gonna be a little verbose here, but hopefully everything I say is... That's okay. I'm also gonna be kind of verbose. (laughs) Okay. Alright, um, so. Uh, I I picked out three themes (coughs) that resonated really strongly with me in watching the movie. And, uh, the first one is reality versus dreams. Um... So here we go. Uh, getting lost in a pleasant illusion is one of my favorite concepts to explore in media. It was the low-key focus of Persona 4. Uh, it's a major attack that almost destroys the heroes in Digimon Zero uh, Two or Adventure Zero Two, whatever. Uh, and it was really neat to see it here, too. I-, I think the villain tactic is a lot of fun because of the insight it gives us into the characters who we don't really get to know as well. Uh, through all the non-stop action of certain media. I mean, like, even episode to episode, sometimes you don't really get to know the characters that well. Um, 
Anyway, I'm not going to say that Sailor Moon doesn't do a really good job of giving those insights into the characters as it goes along, but I will say that the movies do it better than the 90s anime, and I think the 90s anime does it uh, better overall uh, for everyone who isn't Usagi um, than Sailor Moon Crystal does. Um, I mean, Sailor Moon Crystal Season 1 was definitely the Usagi Mamoru show, and then Season 2, it was more focused on the others. Uh, but still, there could be more. Um, one more aside, in Persona 4, the protagonist is almost entirely an avatar for the player, uh, but the anime did this uh, perfect illusion tactic in a way that really served to define him uh, as a character while somehow leaving like all his personal details almost uh, undisclosed, which is funny. Um, it was interesting and it worked well. Um, so back to the point, uh, media with the uh, threat of the perfect illusion uh, is something I enjoy so much for the fact that the viewer is engrossed in this fictional world and then is giving or is given the suggestion to look at themselves and wonder if they are falling into the same trap as the characters they love and identify with. Yeah, and it's it's an idea that I also really love in media. I feel like uh, Magic Knight Ray Earth played with it a couple of times. Um, but, you know, on a, on a lot of levels, I like how this this movie specifically plays with it, because it's very much playing into Usagi's, like, number one strength. Usagi cannot, she can be selfish, but she can't conceive of a world in which she's thinking only of herself and what she wants. And it's kind of what saves her and saves everyone. Because she can't really live in isolation, and she doesn't believe that anyone should have to live in isolation. So even, you know, when she gets caught up in this dream that completely 100% alleviates her insecurities, and we're going to talk about that in kind of in a broader sense in a minute, but, like, the second she realizes what's going on, she confirms it, and then it's just like, nope, this is a dream, and I got stuff to do. Because she'd rather kind of work out her insecurities and problems with the people she loves than have it all really easily solved, but have kind of the reality of the people she loves erased from her. And, you know, that's a thing that warms my heart. I always love that kind of thing. Uh, but my biggest issue with the movie is that I don't really get why this is happening. Um, like, what is, what exactly does Badianu get out of all of this? She swallows the planet and everyone is kind of, you know, in their dream coffins and she's absorbing their dream energy from it to do what exactly? What is her goal? What is the end game? It doesn't seem like it's supposed to be benevolent on her part, especially since we're talking about dark energy left and right. Um, and, you know, the, the black dream hole is an extension of herself. So, you know, even if she's convinced the fairies, like, oh, you're going to be helping these kids live in, you know, this happy dream forever where nothing bad ever happens. Like, what does this weird giant space woman want in the long run? It's super vague and unclear, and I don't really get it. Yeah, I don't really have anything to add for uh, Badianu, because she was kind of... I feel like she was just like a narrative tool, really, which is fine. Um, sometimes that's all your villain has to be, and uh, I thought it hit the right notes, so I'm I'm good with not knowing, really. Um, but I am kind of going to touch on her in my next comments on uh, 
the theme of the children being, well, the children are our future is the title I have for here for our theme. Um, Whitney said it best, but Usagi's English was never that good, so I guess uh, I know why she was a bit slow on the uptake. I mean, uh, anyway. Uh, this iteration of Usagi is a little hard for me to fully wrap my mind around. Uh, I, I get the broad strokes of her, but I felt a little conflicted with her still bearing so much insecurity regarding uh, Darien and Rini. Um, yes, those are their wonderful, wonderful dub names. Um, <laughs> uh, because I feel like she should be past this already. I mean, the whole, uh, do your thing, moon mama line from the first movie made me feel like she should be beyond this. Uh, I see that now, but I will not deny that while I want to be Mamaru, I often find myself acting more like Usagi as a parent. <clears throat> so, anyway. Uh, Badiani wants to snuff out the dreams of children across the stars in order to destroy their host planets and their loved ones. It's her agenda, and she just uses and abuses children as a means to her end. Uh, when we don't check ourselves like Usagi did later in the movie, when she remembered Chibiusa's cookies and all the good in her willful, wonderful, sweet, pain-in-the-neck kid... Uh, we can act just like Badianu. I mean, and that's not just with children, that's with anybody. But I think uh, the whole children thing is, it, there's an extra dimension there, because I think historically people have seen children as um, slightly less than human. Uh, a little bit. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that's not how I want to be at all, and I hope that people who suffered through jerk parents will not do the same thing when they have kids. Anyway, uh, we could go on a whole, you know, hours, like nine hour long podcast about that, but I, I don't think we should. Um, we're, we're not a parenting podcast, so. No. <laughs> Although it would be cool to do a parenting podcast where you discuss a certain piece of media and all the stuff about as, parenting. As it. it relates to parenting. That would be kind of yeah. neat. I mean, really I, neat. I say this as someone who does not have kids and doesn't really plan to have kids, but that's kind of, that's neat in concept. Oh, maybe, maybe in another life I'll have to do that. Um, so anyway, there was another kind of thing that came out of this children being the future thing to me, uh, like a kind of cons- conservationist or conservative, uh, like approach to dealing with the world. And by the world, I mean the actual, you know, material of, you know, water and plants and the air and whatnot. What not, but like, Badiani will go on selfishly taking for herself until there's nothing left. Um, like, she sure isn't thinking about the next seven generations. Uh, while the imminent threat she poses to all life on Earth puts the scouts in that category by default. I mean, I can't say if consciously everyone's thinking like, no, we have to preserve this world for the future, for generations beyond, you know, the next and the next. Um, but, uh, she's definitely saying, I'm gonna kill everybody right now to get what I want. So, you know. Yeah. It's a strange thing. Um, I mean, I definitely, I definitely agree with you on that. It's definitely uh, this kind of consume everything right now versus uh, just you know look to the future and have some thoughts about that, even if it's not you know seven generations down the line and it's just like seven months down the line. Because <laughs> um, I mean, even even if the girls are just thinking like, hey, we don't want to be dead. Uh, you know, they do, we know their lives extend very far into the future, into a future that they do their best to make a lot better than the present. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a little, I'm going to kind of go off on uh, your thoughts about Usagi, though, 
because uh, I ended up just kind of with a, a hot take on that, I guess. Okay. Because <laughs> um, it is weird that even in Supers, and maybe into Stars, I don't totally remember, because Mamoru isn't present in Stars, so they don't actively have him to fight over. Uh, so I don't remember if they are actively fighting over him in Stars. Uh, but they don't really get completely past that in Supers, and they never really get over this kind of weird rivalry for Mamoru, to the point where it kind of feels like a game that they play that they're not 100% serious about. Because we, we do see that fighting is kind of partially how they show affection to each other, and specifically how Usagi and Chibiusa show affection to each other, not really how they show affection to other people. Um, and we kind of see that a little more openly at the end when, you know, Barianu summons Chibiusa and Usagi's like, oh, thank God, you're okay. And Chibiusa's like, hey, you're late. And Usagi's just like, oh, duh, hush, girl. <laughs> And, you know, they kind of have this little playful moment in which they bicker. And, you know, Mamoru is just an easy thing for them to fight over. But then you get that scene where, like, Chibiusa isn't even there, and Usagi is having this moment with Mamoru where she's like, hey, who do you care about more? And it, And she's being incredibly dramatic about it. So it kind of feels like she wants him to be in on the game, but he just doesn't totally get it. Because, like, why would he understand this game? That's a weird thing for you two to be doing. Um, but I'll give that, at least in this case, it's very much serving the larger narrative at hand. And the the dynamic of Usagi and Chibiusa that this movie wants to play with. Because uh, especially, you know, we give Chibiusa sort of another romantic interest in this movie. And man, I want to say Chibiusa dates everyone. <laughs> like if if we're counting Peru by the end of this movie she's like legitimately dating like three people. Yeah, that's that's definitely true. Um but it it very much serves this kind of dynamic and we have Usagi and Shibuya bickering and fighting from the outset of the movie uh in Makoto's kitchen and everyone just kind of laughing about it cuz it's what they do up until there's actual trouble. Up until suddenly Chibiusa is ripped away from Usagi. And the instant she is, Usagi is overcome by the absolute horror that her child is in danger and out of her reach. And then, you know, she very quickly swallows that and can't do anything about it isn't an option. And she has to go to space to beat up a fairy. She's like, well, this is what's gotta be done. Because she needs me and I love her. Right. And we see that very much in Chibiusa also when she's first, you know, thrown in front of Barianu. She's not afraid. She's not screaming like, oh, you'll never get away with this, blah, blah. Because she is, it's very calm. She is 100% calm about the situation. Sailor Moon exists, and she believes in her. She outright says in the calmest voice possible, Your plan is stupid, and it's gonna fail because my mom's gonna come get me and kick your butt. Like, she smiles about it. She's like, I know this is what's gonna happen, because I 100% believe in Sailor Moon and in Usagi, and Usagi reciprocates that in eating Chibiusa's cookie. She's right. like... 
this is, I believe in her power, and, you know, this is the strength of our bond. And I mentioned that really awkward scene with Mamoru, and so much of why it feels like Usagi is trying to make him part of the game is that in the instant when we parallel that scene and we have a Mamoru who gives in to her selfish desires and is like, no, you're the most important, Usagi completely recoils. She tr- she then tries to play that game again. She feeds him the exact same line. Who's more important, Chibiusa or me? Mm. And when he just says, obviously you're more important, and Usagi isn't getting the reaction that she knows she should get, Usagi explicitly calls the game off. She's like, yeah, like, this is, I still love you, but this is a dream. Like, even in my dreams, you're, you're still great. And, you know, that immediately cuts it off. And it sits weird because Usagi and Chibiusa seem so serious about it when they go at it. And they, Usagi seems so serious about it when she's having this conversation with Mamoru. And, you know, they, it's not always just the two of them bickering back and forth. It's definitely something that's always kind of dragged them down a bit. Because especially it goes on after the point at which it's supposedly resolved. And, I mean, my interpretation of this could be totally wrong, but looking at it through this lens makes that pill a lot easier to swallow. Hmm. Yeah, and I I can't really... uh, I'm not going to refute that, because I think it's an interesting interpretation, and it gives a lot of... uh, I don't know, there's a lot more there to examine and to think about in how everything played out, and it does lend some, I guess, some dramatic weight to, to you know, to the scene where she, you know, disses, or whatever, dismisses uh, Dream Mamoru, so, hmm. Yeah, and I mean, like, this isn't, this isn't, like, a, a lens that I've been looking through this whole time, like, that's one I took watching it explicitly this time for this recording, uh, so this is kind of a new take on that that I'm only now kind of looking at. Well, maybe when I uh, maybe when I do the the uh, the subtitle rewatch, I can look out for that. Maybe, and I mean, again, there are so many dialogue changes. <laughs> well, we will get to that in uh, Dubs versus Subs Grudge Match number two. I think it's the second Grudge Match. Uh, <laughs> I believe so. Yeah. Uh, so the next theme I wanted to discuss, uh, is cherishing the past versus making a better future. Uh, this almost feels like it will be difficult to unlink from reality versus dreams, uh, from above. I, I guess it is a different take on it, but I feel it is substantive enough that we can discuss it anyhow. Um, the scouts are given the option to sacrifice the future for the hollow comfort of a past they can never truly reclaim. I guess really more Usagi gets that focus, um, or that, that option. Um, Makoto says, uh, it the most directly when she insists that they'll keep fighting to make a better tomorrow for themselves. Uh, I also remember something about, uh, like drawing strength from the past, but then letting go of it in order to move on to the future. Uh, I wanted to say that I think you're remembering something that Ray says in the kitchen scene in the beginning, Hmm. um, kind of about memories being good, but it's more important to work toward future happiness, along with uh, Makoto has this line, uh, happiness is the pursuit of happiness. But then I rewatched that scene in the dub and that all of those lines are not there. So Hmm. I'm not 
uh, a hundred. It's when uh, it's when they're talking about uh, chocolate in okay. the dub. Okay, <laughs> right. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of point out those differences later. But that's what I thought you were maybe thinking of. But none of those lines exist in the dub, so I'm not sure uh, exactly what you're pulling from. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I guess, man, what am I thinking? I don't know because there was a weird thing like where. Uh, Usagi's with, uh, Badianu, and she's fighting her, and the senshi get all their energy drained, and, like, they're gonna die or something? Uh, I mean, everybody's gonna die, but, like, specifically, they're, like, their energy's getting drained from them somehow, and the girls wanna keep fighting, but they're, like, really having a tough time. It's when they get all colorful. Yeah, when they get all colorful. And I feel like, I don't know. Maybe I'm pulling that from nowhere, so I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I'm not, I'm not really sure, cause I didn't watch the whole dub, I just kinda, there was only a couple key scenes that I, I went and checked, but uh, I do think that like a neat core of this is that all of them want to share this future together. Hmm. They all want to, you know, move forward so that they can share this happiness with each other and be together instead of kind of living in this perfect isolation. Well. I didn't do a good job, but you, I think you salvaged it, so thank you. <laughs> I don't know what happened. Uh, alright, well let's get to the, uh, the fun, fun, fun part. Um, dubs versus sub grudge match number two. Um, and I, I just want everybody to know, I only watched the dub this time, so I didn't really have anything to add here, but Sony, you, you found some good stuff. Uh, yeah, no, I, I watched it subtitled as I do, because again, I've done my time, but there was a scene that I specifically wanted to go back and watch in the dub, because there's a line that I wanted to know how they handled it. Um, because again, I, I've never actually watched this whole movie dubbed. Hmm. Uh, when I, when I first saw it, it hadn't been dubbed yet, and I just, I never went down that road. Um, but there's a specific line that, you know, now that I had the chance and we were going to be talking about it, I wanted to see how the dub handled it. Um, you know, after the outers show up, they defeat the three fairies and everyone kind of explains what's going on to the three of them. And then there's this short bit of dialogue between Haruka and Michiru in reaction to the situation. And I'm not sure if you caught it, but Michiru kind of says, oh, that's a really silly idea. Uh, and looks over at Haruka, and Haruka starts blushing. And, I mean, dubbed, this probably seems pretty odd, because Michiru's statement in the dub is something kind of in the vein of, oh, that's that's a silly idea, because we should live our whole lives, it's exciting from beginning to end. And that's pretty innocuous. But her original line is, there are so many more fun things to do as adults. <laughs> Which, you know, pairs with her. She then looks over at Haruka, specifically, Haruka starts blushing, and you've got this kind of knowledge of their relationship, and it's pretty obvious what she means by that statement. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> you know how there's, never mind, I was gonna make a weird comment about better than sex cake, but I won't. Um, that's a really good catch. Uh, it, it rang a bit off for me, uh, in the dub, I, I thought there was something a little weird about that line, but I didn't really, you know, like, get, I didn't be, uh, dig into it. Um, I missed Haruka blushing. Uh, however, 
I went back and rewatched after you brought this up to me, and I noticed that uh, if I hadn't caught her blushing, I should have noticed her uh, somewhat dramatically clearing her throat at the end of that little exchange. So definitely, uh, they may have erased the line or, or dubbed over the line in a way that would uh, hide uh, the awkward exchange, but I think the, yeah. the throat clearing definitely highlights it. Like, I think, I don't know whose decision that was in making the movie, uh, the original movie, but, uh, like, they definitely wanted people to see that and know something was being talked about, and, uh, the dub, the dub wanted to ignore it, so. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, the, the 90s anime is often very explicit about Haruka and Michiru's relationship, um, and the fact that it's pretty sexual, um, and the dub very much tries to erase that to the point of making them related, mm. and, this this is kind of the least egregious of the ways the dub erases their relationship. Because, uh, again, it gives Michiru this pretty innocuous line. And, you know, with the way Haruka generally acts, especially in the 90s dub, you can kind of wave off her throat clearing as an attempt to brush off Michiru being very sentimental instead of trying to brush off the fact that she's trying to hide how mortified she is by Michiru laying open their very sexual relationship for everyone to hear about. Um, and, you know, I've never, I've never watched the full movie dubbed, so I've, on, I've always kind of known that line and been very clear on uh, Michiru's semi-subtle way of say what she was saying. So I was just very curious to hear how they handled that since, you know, we had a whole section... This this dub versus sub grudge, grudge match, right. um, unrelated. Holy heck, Haruka's dub voice is a train wreck. I mean, I'm sure the woman doing it is doing her best, but her voice doesn't suit Haruka. Um, also, the outers dub voices do this very loud, overly dramatic sort of stage talking, like they're trying to project to the back of the house, and it feels very very weird. Hmm. Um, there's also a line that I kind of went back and checked on, uh, you know, on, they're all going up on the, the gondola, and Pluto asks, like, hey, who's this kid? Um, and in the dub, Usagi's like, oh, he's cool, he's a friend of Rini's. But the original line, she's, she just flat out says, oh, this is Chibiusa's boyfriend. Hmm. Um, and I guess maybe the dub wanted to distance that sort of thing, uh, because Chibiusa is so young. But it, it felt like a weird change. Yeah, and I, uh, I don't know. I stumbled across her, yeah, throughout my life I've encountered several people. Oh, is that your little girlfriend, your boyfriend? So like, it, I think it would have been passable to like let it stand I mean, it, it. Yeah. It's, I mean, I mean like, I'm fine with it because again, Chibiusa is very young. Um, and you know, kids have not, she's maybe like 10 at this point, mm -hmm. I think. Uh, cause she started aging. We can see between, especially watching the 90s anime, you can very see that between, uh, Black Moon and, um, Deathbusters, she's aged several mm -hmm. years. Um, but you know, like a, a 10 year old doesn't know if they're straight or gay or bi or whatever. They're still figuring all that out. And you know, maybe they do. Maybe I, know some people know from a very young age but i'm like it's not that one's not as much of like a weird deal breaker as 
you know, the previous example. Right. And I can very under, I can understand wanting to distance that, especially, you know, Chibiusa is pretty openly bi, at, le- at the very least. Right. I, I want to say something, but I haven't seen, you know, Horse Boyfriend, so I can't really, uh, I got to hold oh, up. Oh, man, you know? horse, horse Boyfriend sure is a thing. Um, but I've I've mentioned the kitchen scene at the beginning several times, mm. um, just because at that point I had the dub track on and I was just going back. Uh, I had both the subtitles on and the dub track on, and I was just going back and checking things for the notes. And one, Diana's dub voice is the actual worst. <laughs> so you you didn't like it either, huh? It is horrible. But that whole conversation is drastically different in the dub. Just skimming through it. Um, Diana makes a weird joke about eating mice. Um, instead of just being, yeah, in the dub. Um, instead of just being like, wow, I didn't realize that, you know, confectionaries had all of these memories tied to them. And then the dub makes a joke where they're talking about eating all the chocolate chips and, you know, too much chocolate is bad for you, but okay in small amounts. But the actual conversation is about like, oh, we're, we're doing these to get Valentine's Day dates and grasping happiness via baking. And Diana's like, oh, well, if Makoto's already great at baking, does that mean she's already grasped happiness? And then Makoto gives that line of, oh, happiness is the time when you're pursuing happiness. And Usagi and Minako kind of pat her on the shoulders like, you're not convincing anyone. <laughs> um, and, you know, that whole three o'clock fairy thing is, is taken out. And that's, there's some weird translation choices that kind of pass off a lot of themes in the movie that are established in that scene and you know part of me wants to go through the whole movie and see what other changes were made uh but you know we don't need to be here all day yeah um can i interject real quick yeah uh so i'm pretty sure i remember telling you or talking about it in the last two episodes that i cried during those other movies this one didn't get me emotional like i was really creeped out by the whole pipe piper thing taking the kids and when Usagi was upset about, um, about Chibiusu being taken, like, that was, you know, emotionally affecting, because, you know, there was, there was some great animation there, and just envisioning that sort of thing happening, it's terrible. Um, but I didn't really feel like this one had, uh, I don't know if it didn't have the emotional depth, because, like, the themes were really strong, um, and really striking, and, uh, I almost wonder if maybe the dub changes were so, drastic that I just, it it didn't hit me like it should have. Um, I also admit I wasn't paying as close attention as I had to the others, um, but it wasn't like I was, you know, playing a video game or something. Like, I should have, I don't know. So I'm I'm definitely going to have to, uh, uh, I'm going to watch it dubbed or with the subtitles and report back, but I, I really wonder if that maybe had something to do with my level of enjoyment this time. Like, it was cool, but it wasn't as impactful. I def- I, there are a couple spots where I teared up. It's definitely not as emotional of a movie as the other ones, um, I would say. I mean, I did tear up when we 
when we see, you know, Chibiusa being taken away on the boat and Usagi's reaction. Um, and, you know, when they come back together and shoot through the, the tiny sun inside the Black Dream Hole. Right. Um, there were a couple spots where I teared up a little bit, but I, I definitely didn't get as emotional as I have the past couple of times. But I do think that, like, I would definitely recommend watching it subbed and, you know, going back and taking that second pass at it because it seems like there are so many huge ch- dialogue changes uh, that kind of write over a good handful of themes in this movie. Uh, one really, really touching moment, and maybe this is close to what you're talking about with, uh, you know, breaking through the sun. Um, but when, uh, when Usagi and Chibiusa were back together and they did their joint transformation, um, it was so sweet and like the imagery for, for the transformation is like very intimate. Um, like with their skirts flowing over each other and then the way they like, the transformation basically finishes or, they're finished there with their clothes changing. Um, and they're like almost in like a snuggling position and stuff. And it feels very, it felt yeah, very maternal. And, uh, I think Chibiusa is supposed to be whisper. I've always assumed Chibiusa is supposed to be whispering something. Cause it looks a little like her lower jaw is moving huh. just very slightly. Okay. But I'm not sure if that's just, uh, the, the way the background moving against them makes it look like that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always kind of perceived movement there. Hmm. Um, but I definitely, but, the this transformation sequence they have in Supers, that's their general transformation sequence, and I have always thought it was very sweet. Um, I Since, you know, Usagi's, you know, God anyway, and there's all this religious imagery with the show, um, it feel I'm just going to go ahead and bring up, like, Madonna art. Um it feels very much like that mother and child thing to me. Obviously, she's not nursing her or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, like, it's just very sweet. And, um, like, anyway. Again, I don't want to get weird, but, like, it's a cool thing, the whole uh, elevation or honoring of the mother-child relationship and, and the... Uh, well, anyway, I know women who've talked about how beautiful it is and, and they enjoy having art of breastfeeding women and stuff uh, in, in that in that range. And again, I'm not saying everybody has to feel that way, but I definitely think it's beautiful. And the things I've been exposed to, um, I, I had a greater appreciation for it because of that, because it kind of evoked that kind of image to me. And I think it's cool. Yeah, no, I definitely, I think I've always thought that transformation sequence was very pretty, kind of even with you know, my childhood dislike of Chibiusa, I have always really <laughs> liked that. And this was this was always my favorite movie. The Chibiusa movie was always my favorite one, weirdly enough. Yeah. But um I I feel like this movie did a lot was a lot kinder to her than most of the nineties series. Um But yeah, no, the I I do really enjoy this movie. I enjoyed it a lot, even now, even kind of with this old, as I've gotten older, I'm like, what Badiano's doing makes zero sense. <laughs> uh, well, she's, she's just a big fat consumer, right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, that's the only thing I can think. Um, Alright, well, uh, I guess we should wrap it up then, huh? I guess so. Um, yeah, so this was fun again. Uh, I think I've done a poor job of keeping time, but you know, these will be here 
when <laughs> I, I plan to get this episode up, but you know, this little season in our uh, Sailor Moon coverage will be here, and uh, prob- hopefully in uh, what is it? This is March, so hopefully in um, in April we'll do something too. I just don't know what it would be on. There's the Sailor V manga we could cover. There's a couple uh, specials from the '90s anime. Ami has a special. There's uh, a Haruka and Michiru special. Hmm. There are a couple one-off manga chapters. So there's a couple things that we could cover uh, that wouldn't take too much, too much time to you know watch or read or deal with, uh, as opposed to like the musicals that are a million hours long. Yeah. Uh, is that Sailor V manga, uh, just a, is it like a full chapter or is it a talk about it's, it's worth? I think it's like two, one or two volumes. Okay. Hmm. Well. So it's, it's lengthy, but not too horribly long. Okay. Maybe, you know, a good, good hours read. Okay. Well, I'd be interested in that for sure. Especially cause it starts like before the show, right? Yeah. It's all of, uh, all of the Sailor V stuff before she meets up with the group. Okay. And uh, wasn't that Takuchi did the Sailor V first and then went on and did Sailor Moon? I think she had some of the stuff... She had conceived of a lot of stuff before Sailor Moon proper, and I think a lot of that was put into Sailor V. Hmm. Neat. Um, well, uh, I guess it's time for Awkward Outro. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, thank you for listening, folks, and, uh, we, well, on behalf of the Toe Network and, uh, Moonspeak, um, I am Amit. And I'm Sono. And we will catch you next time in our web of lies, or maybe our <laughs> black hole of misery? No, dream, dream black hole. <laughs> Whatever. Let's see everybody.